0: Amen. Have a seat. And howdy. Howdy. Welcome back. 2020, we are back and going. Uh, My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here at Grace Southwood. Welcome. As we start this semester, uh, we are studying together the book of Proverbs. And I'll tell you what, this book of Proverbs is going to be extremely helpful and practical in life. If you've ever left Uh, a time reading the Bible, and ask yourself the question, what do I do with that? I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Uh, You'll never ask yourself that question when you're reading the book of Proverbs. What you'll ask yourself is, ow, that hurts. Um, Can I actually change to do that? Can I actually be the person it's asking me to be? I'm going to read a a verse for us. I'm going to pray for us, and then launch us in. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, and I'll just tell you this before we get into the sermon: um, we will be everywhere in the book of Proverbs. Uh, some of you are amazing at sword drill, and you're going to just like zzz, and find your way. For the rest of us humans, uh, the, every verse will be uh, on the screen as we go through. So feel uh, safe. Maybe have your phone ready to take some snapshots along the way. Proverbs seventeen seventeen or twenty seven seventeen says this: as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for a time to get together uh, around your word, to sing songs to you that reflect your glory, that we might be men and women who love you more deeply. I thank you that we get to sing songs to you. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word. And your word is not an instruction manual on how to live life. It's actually a a, a guide to point us first to you, Jesus. And as we develop a deeper relationship with you, you give us practicality in how we should live a life that's most honoring um, to you. So, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts that we might be people of the book that love you and your word. That we might be men and women in this world that walk wisely so that the world might know who you are, Jesus. We might spotlight that to a world that desperately desperately is seeking help. So Lord, I lift up this morning to you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, we're studying the book of Proverbs, and today we're going to be talking about a subject that all of you desire to be better at, and if you're honest with yourself, struggle to do well. In fact, maybe I'll just be talking about myself. This is something that I desire to be better at, and honestly, uh, there's moments when I struggle to simply be this, a good friend how can i be a good friend or how can i find good friends that's a great question that i think often people are asking in college and so before we jump into the content of what it means to to be a good friend to find great friendships i'll tell you this we actually have a, a, a u version devotional to go through. And so if you go to Uversion app, you type in the best. Um, there will be several devotions for you to go to to go a little bit deeper into this content. And I'd encourage you to jump over to our YouVersion app as part of that. But Thomas Aquinas, I think, summarized friendship extremely well when he said this. Friendship is the source of greatest pleasure. And without friends, even the most agreeable pursuits become tedious. Friendship is the source of greatest pleasure. And without friends, even the most agreeable pursuits become tedious. The truth of the matter is you need friends. And at some point in life, friends were easy to come by. In fact, the easiest time for me to get friends in my personal life was actually in high school. And and the reason for that is this. uh, You're confined in these small areas called schools for long amounts of time. Eight hours a day around those people. And so friendships are mostly built on proximity. These people are around me, and so they become my friends. And one of those friends that I developed a relationship with was a guy named James. And James, uh, everyone needs a friend like James. Uh, James was hilarious, and he did things that would, uh, would be stories that you tell the rest of your life. And this is my James story. Okay, so we were in high school in the cafeteria at lunch. And our tables uh, were connected together, uh, just like normal tables pushed together. Not like the tables here, but normal tables that kind of pushed together. And he had chairs around it. And, uh, And James had terrible teeth. James needed braces desperately. And by the time he got to his sophomore year of high school, it became the point of no return. He needed braces to fix what was going on in his mouth. And he begged his parents, please, please, please let me get braces. But the problem was, it wasn't a simple matter of just putting braces on the teeth. He needed an expander to expand his mouth, like make the roof of his mouth wider. And so if you've had an expander, you know James's plight, right? But James loved food, and James particularly loved meatball sub day at the school. I don't know why James loved meatball sub day at the school, but he did. It was a deep emotional connection James had with the meatballs. <laughs> And so he decides this day, uh, even though I just got my expander in earlier during the day, I will not miss meatball sub day. And so he gets to lunch, he gets his tray, he's sitting down in front of me, and he starts tonguing his way with his meatballs to try to swallow the meatball nearly whole because he couldn't chew because it hurt too bad, you know? And so he's just kind of tonguing his way and swallowing, tonguing his way and swallowing. I'm like, James, are you doing okay? So, you know? And so he's, he's doing this, and and at one moment, as I look over at James, we're kind of talking, having a good time, and, and James starts turning red, and then James grabs the table, and he's like, I'm like, James, what's going on? And he was a joker. So I'm like, are you just playing? He's just like, ruh, ruh, ruh. and I'm like, are you choking? He's like, And so I jump up. I'm the hero of this moment, right? I throw the table to the side. I run over behind James. I put my arms to do the Heimlich maneuver. I, I put my arms around James and I, I start to pull him up. And he's like, nothing's ha- But he can't talk. He's all, and I'm just like, does anyone know the Heimlich? Like, that's my next question. Like, I am an unhelpful friend in this moment. I'm like, I'm like, what do I do? And I'm like, the nurse. The nurse. And so I just grabbed his hand. I like, run him to the nurse's station. I'm like, please help James. And then by this point, the food had decided to work its way out. And so he goes over to the sink and starts um, uh, getting the food out of himself. And uh, and what was so funny in this moment is all the nurses let James do his thing over on the side. It's kind of gross. And, and they come to me and they're like, Kevin, are you okay? You know, they're like comforting me in this moment. I'm like, like, here's the problem. And to, to this day, like, that's the most iconic moment in James' life. And why do I tell you that? I tell you this, that for one <laughs> simple reason. You need friends. You need friends to help you when you cannot help yourself. You need friends. And we all have stories of friends in our life who were there for us, who have helped us, who have made us better. But i, I tell you what, friendship is actually extremely challenging. It's more difficult than you can imagine. Now, some of you, as I say this, the fact that you need friends, you're like, Kevin, I I know this, but, but do I actually need a sermon on this? Well, here's what I love about Proverbs, is Proverbs teaches you wisdom. The word wisdom in Proverbs is this skill. It's skill to live life well. It's skill in how to navigate the complexities of life. And that word skill, that word wisdom, can actually be applied in a diverse uh, range of areas. It could be skill as a craftsman. It could be skill in navigating ships. But in Proverbs in particular, it's skill in how to navigate the complexities of life. And what we need is skill, wisdom, timeless wisdom to speak into our current circumstances. We need wisdom in all aspects of life, and in this area in particular, we need wisdom in how to make and how to be good friends. Because the truth is this, you were created for community. Whether you realize it or not, you were created for connection. In 1988, they did a study on, on premature babies that were born. And the... Uh, the wisdom of the day on premature babies is they wanted to keep them in incubators and not touch them for fear that if they, if they handled them too much, they would, they would injure the babies and stop the baby from thriving. But what they discovered as they put these infants into incubators and, and did not touch them, they only fed them intravenously, they were finding many, many premature babies were not making it. They couldn't thrive in this circumstance. And so one doctor in in the 80s began trying um, a different um, tactic, Dr. Fields. She began for 15 minutes a day just stroking the baby's backs. And what she found is that the babies that they didn't touch, they left there because they thought it wasn't safe to touch them, continued to have a higher mortality rate, continued to die. The babies that were stroked for 15 minutes a day just became fatter, they ate the same amount, but they became fatter. They became more uh, responsive to outside stimuli. They began uh, even responding to rattles and things that they were seeing. They were becoming more responsive. They were becoming more viable simply through touch and through contact. You see, what we need in order to live is human connection. What we need for life to thrive, not just survive, is meaningful human connection. God said it in Genesis 2. God makes everything in all of creation. It's beautiful. It's glorious. He's like, look at those fish. That's good. Look at those birds. That's good. Look at those trees. That's amazing. That's so good. Everything's good. And then he declares one thing not good in the garden. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he brought him a woman, a companion. And it wasn't only sexual. It was relational. It wasn't good for man to be alone. What he needed was human connection. And we need meaningful human connections, not just to survive, but for life to thrive. And the truth is this, you live at, you are going, many of you, to Texas A&M University. You should be excited. This, from your website of your alma mater, tells us that we have nearly 70,000 people attending our university. That's a lot of people. You're like, yeah, but how do I even connect with them, Kevin? Well, the total enrollment was, in fall of 2019, 69,000. Of undergraduates, there's 54,476. First-generation students, that's 25%. That means most of you had family that went here, right? College of campus uh, is 64,000 folks. Student organizations, like, where do I connect, Kevin? Where are my friends? Where do I find them? Well, there's over 1,000 student organizations on campus, 1,100 plus is what it says. Former students, like, what about when I graduate? Are there, is there any other Aggies in the world? There's 509,000 of them, right? There's one or two out there in the world that you could connect with, right? You're part of a gigantic community, maroon and all, right? There's tons of us out there to connect with. There are so many people that you can build meaningful relationships with. But here's what's fascinating is I've been doing studies on your generation. You're part of what's known as Generation Z. Why are you Generation Z? I talked about this last week. Um, I'm part of Generation X. The ones right after me are Millennials, Generation Y. And what comes after Y? Z. I, don't, I mean, that's about as creative as it gets, right? So you have a responsibility to come up with a cooler name for your generation rather than what comes after Y, you know, Z. So that's what you are known as at this point. But here's what's fascinating. What we found in the United States, there's been several studies, several things written about this, is that the United States is facing what's called a loneliness epidemic, a loneliness crisis. And here's what they found. Who is most susceptible to this crisis of loneliness. Who is failing to develop meaningful relationships? Well, here, one study by Cigna, which is a healthcare organization that was studying um, what it looks like, the loneliest culture in the United States, as they um, provide healthcare for many different people. And they said this, and I'll summarize these findings here in a moment. Last year, a national survey on loneliness in the U.S. found that Americans are lonelier than ever. Nearly half of those polled in the Cigna survey reported... Uh, Reportedly, sometimes or are always feeling lonely, that 53% of the people feel that way, sometimes or all the time. But the feelings of isolation are even more acute among adults ages 18 to 22. Members of Generation Z were significantly more likely than any other age group to say that they felt isolated. So as they looked at these different generations and they've, they've tested them, their, their self-assessed feelings, here's what they found. The greatest generation, which that, by the way, is the greatest name for your generation. So somehow adopt, co-opt that. Okay, uh, greatest generation two, um, greatest generation, thirty-eight point six declare lone- that they are lonely. Boomers forty-two point four, Generation X forty-five point one, Millennials forty-five point three, Generation Z. You guys win. You're number one. Forty-eight point three percent of you declare that I feel lonely. Well, what do I mean by that? How does that play out? in these statistics. Now, these are very, very small. You can download the Cygnus study and read this on your own. But here's some of the, the questions that were asked. Um, the first one, you can't read it, so I'm just going to read it to you. It says, interested, that people are interested in the ideas, um, that they're actually, sh- uh, are they shared by those people around me? Most people are kind of all clumped together um, in that area. The next question is this, people around you um, but are not with you. Do you feel that way? That's when Generation Z goes all the way to the right, right under 70. Feel shy, Generation Z, all the way to the right, 70. No one knows you well, Generation Z, all the way to the right, just almost to 70. Feel left out, moving yourself uh, over to 60. Alone, past 60. relationship with others are not meaningful, all the way past 60. Generation Z, when asked the question, do you feel connected? Do you feel known? Do you feel you have meaningful relationships? What's so interesting is, is that Generation Z says, I don't feel that way at all. I don't feel like that I'm known. I don't feel that I'm cared for. I don't feel that people are close. And here's what's fascinating. The study tried to determine, is social media a factor in this? And the, the answer was no. Social media actually doesn't determine whether you're more connected or less connected. But what it's clearly not doing is making you feel more connected. We are on our smartphones, we are on our social media, we are texting constantly, but we do not feel close. In fact, the study said, the only significant factor to determine whether or not people feel more connected relationally is simply this, face-to-face interaction. And those people, that have more face-to-face interaction are more likely to feel connected. Those with less face-to-face interaction regularly feel less connected. And so God was right when he set everything into space. He said, I want these people to thrive, not just survive. And in order to thrive, they need each other. They need friends. In our culture, in our world, where there's a crisis of loneliness, the solution that God gives, the solution that science is telling us is simply this, you need friends. But the question is, how do I find those friends? Well, you need friends for two important reasons. The first one is this, for companionship. But secondly, to make you better the verse I started out with said simply this, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That means people make you better. The reason we need people is not only for companionship, but we need friends to actually make us better, make us better people, to to sharpen us. The illustration is that of, 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 uh, of a blacksmith making a making a, a sword or something sharp. And they said, as, as you take that iron hammer and beat onto that iron piece of steel, it will eventually become something sharp, something useful. And so friends, good friends, will make you better. One great friendship that I don't know if all of you are familiar with is this, between J.R.R. Tolkien, um, author of the, uh, the, the Hobbit as well as The the oh my gosh i'm keep the lord of the rings series and c s lewis the narnia uh, he created narnia but also he wrote um uh the weight of glory uh Tons of amazing books. Why is it just slipping my mind? Mere Christianity, Weight of Glory, Narnia Chronicles, uh, more and more and more. He's absolutely an incredible author. What's fascinating about these two men is that they were both professors um, at Oxford. They're both professors in literature, English literature. And these men began meeting together. And here's what's hilarious: What did C.S. Lewis first say when he met Tolkien? He says, "At first sight, it didn't look good." Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis says of Tolkien, "He is." a good enough fellow, but sometimes needs a smack, right? But these men began meeting together and they began reading literature. And here's what's fascinating. As they began reading literature and, and hanging out together, Tolkien eventually shared his faith to C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis became a Christian because of the friendship Tolkien had with Lewis. And one author, the author of this book, um, Tolkien and Lewis, um, The Gift of Friendship. He writes this in an interview. He says this in an interview. What would have happened if Tolkien and Lewis weren't friends? He says this, Tolkien would have never finished writing The Lord of the Rings had it not been for C.S. Lewis's encouragement. Because of the impact of Tolkien's faith on Lewis, without that, we wouldn't have had Lewis, the most popular theologian, the author of Screwtape Tape Letters, the author of Narnia. We would not have had it was because of the relationship of these two men that these men created things far beyond their capacities they created better things because of the encouragement and the vibrancy these men sharpened one another and we benefit because of this deep friendship we need friends the right friends will make you a better person they will help you to be better but here's the challenge Good friends are hard to find. Good relationships are actually very challenging to develop, and Proverbs speaks into this, and he gives us some types of friends that will not help us grow, that will not help us thrive, will not help us to become the people we're meant to be under God. There are actually fake friends. Friends that pretend to be legitimate but actually aren't. Proverbs 14, 20 says it this way. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend of the man who gives gifts. What's the point? He says some people are fair-weather friends. They're fake friends. That means they'll follow you around, and as soon as they see a little bit of shine on you, there'll be some groupies that come around you. So some of you, that will be elected to a position, or have a, have a moment of success, what you'll find is there's a crew that want to kind of rub off your shine. They want to come around and pretend to be your friend because you're successful. And so that shine attracts some people. And so what he's saying is, look, you've got to be careful who you choose as friends. Because there's some people that just because you're successful, just because you have a little bit of shine to you, they'll come around and they are fake friends. But there's also friends, relationships, that bring you down. Proverbs 22, 24 says it this way. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you will learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. He says, you watch out for the character of the people you're friends with. Because what will happen is that that person, if they're hot-tempered, you're going to adopt their ways. You're going their, their decisions are going to rub off on you, and you will... You will see their actions, and, and not even intentionally, you'll begin doing the same thing. And we do this in small ways. Like you develop this group of friends, and you're hanging out, and you're talking, and, and all of a sudden, um, there becomes some saying, this happens all the time with guys, some saying from some YouTube video that just makes sense, right? And then it will become your vernacular. It will be the way you talk to one another. There was some stupid YouTube video where some guy goes, come on, man. You know, he's like nodding and looking at this around thing. And this like became viral. All these guys were just like trying to make a point to be like, come on, man. And like it became like their little viral thing, right? This is how we connect. What ends up happening, communities begin developing ways of talking, ways of acting. And you become like the people you associate with. So it's a warning. Who's around you? Who's closest to you? Proverbs 13, 20 says this: Who who walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you're surrounded by wise people, you will become a wiser person. You will make better decisions. If you surround yourself with people that make bad decisions, eventually their bad decisions will rub off on you. I saw this happen with a friend of mine in college. He was a very successful track athlete, he was an All-American, very successful. And he began circling around this other group of guys that began selling illegal software. Eventually, the police found out. They were tracked down. And he did prison time because of this relationship that's just started out as friends. We're hanging out together. Hey, here's an easy way to make some money. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I'm being investigated. I can't believe I'm going to prison. It's crazy that that level of interaction, what started out as a friend, ended in a place he never wanted to be. So it means you have to be discerning. Who are those men? Who are those women closest to you? And when I say those things, okay, we need friends. Good friends are hard to find. I think the next question that you would all be asking yourselves is this. All right, where can I find the right friends? Where can I find the right people? Where are my people why don't they seek me out? You know, like I'm in my dorm, I'm sitting there, I'm cute. Why don't great people find me? Like, why, where are my friends? Like, where's my group? Why don't I get the text to go draw tickets? Why don't I get the text to go do this? Why do all of them have friends? Where are my friends? I'm great. Where are my people? And, and some of us can get really frustrated because we're like, okay, I heard a sermon on Sunday. And they said that I need friends and that I don't want bad friends. And so, God, I'm going to sit here and pray. God, it is your responsibility at this point. If you work, here's how you're going to work. Right? I'll determine, God, how you work for me. All right? So, here's what you need to do I'm going to pray for good friends, and I need a knock in about, I don't know, 10 minutes because I'm bored, right? So, I will pray, God, creator of the universe, give me. I don't know, something like a friend. Frodo had Sam, Rocky had Apollo, Batman had Morgan Freeman, I need a friend. (laughs) Just bring them. And you just pray and you're just like, God, will you answer my prayer? Will you do this for me? And you're treating God like a divine slot machine. If I pay my money, (laughs) you better give me my candy bar, right? Like that's, That's a little bit of how we treat God. But the Bible actually doesn't argue that way. The Bible wants you to have meaningful relationships. The Bible wants you to have meaningful friends. But here's what the Bible speaks to. Not primarily what you need to change in them, but what you need to change in here. So if you're going to write down anything from this message, here's my tagline that you need to write down. You need to memorize. You need to meditate on. You need to think about. Because it's biblical. Be the friend you hope to find. Instead of praying, God, when are you going to bring the right people into my life to be my besties? Ask yourself the question Am I being the friend I'm hoping to find? And so I'm going to give you five principles from Proverbs on how to be the friend you hope to find. And here's what I I truly believe. If you choose to be the friend you hope to find, eventually you'll find the friends you want to have. But it starts with us. Are we the types of friends that we need to be? And Here's your five qualities, and I'll walk through them. Time, commitment, honesty, discretion, You want friends that give time, commitment, honesty, discretion, and character. How do we be a great friend? The first is this. Proverbs 17, 17, time. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. You want to be a great friend to someone? You give them your time. That means when they say, I got to move. Oh, no. Like my... Awesome. I got to move immediately. Like, I need to leave right now. And I don't, I didn't plan this out. I need someone to stand on the other side of this couch because this is my adversity. This is my trial. This is my trouble. Will you help me move? And a good friend says, Yes, I will stand on the other end of that couch and walk down your eight flights of stairs and move you. That's a friend. You know the word adversity means? It means trial. It means trouble. It's often referred to emotional trials and troubles. A good friend says, when things are going bad for you, I'm right there beside you. When you're hurting, I'm listening. When you're needy, I'm present. It's the person you can call when you get in a car wreck. It's the person you can call when you get a flat tire. Because you know that person will be there. And they won't sit there and tell you you're stupid. Why did you run over the nail? It is the gift of presence. Everything else. You can make more money. You can choose another degree. You can buy another taco. But you cannot make more time. This is the greatest gift you can give to people. And you're now and writes this. When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. Beautiful. Are you one that freely gives your time more than just your text? Do you actually go face-to-face? I'm so sorry you, I heard your parents just got a divorce. I'm here for you. I'm so sorry that you did terrible on that test. Let's go grab some coffee together. I'm so sad that happened. I'm going to give you my time. Secondly, commitment. Proverbs 27.10 says this, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. What that is saying is this. He's not saying it's bad to be a brother, but he's saying is there's something nice about someone that you know is committed to you. That's going to be there for you. He says, don't forsake your friend. Don't leave him stranded or your father's friend. If, if there's an acquaintance, like you actually are committed to them, you have a responsibility to help them. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says it this way. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are you the type of friend that doesn't um, turn people away just because they've they've had a bad day? Right? Like everyone has that friend that just blows up sometimes and you're just like, I'm just done with them. And you're like, okay, are are you actually going to commit yourself to them though? To be a good friend, to allow them to have a bad day, to allow them to have space. Are you actually going to be committed to this person? Not just merely give time, but... But commitment to them, to be with them even when it's tough, to actually commit yourself to them, to stick with them closer than a brother. When their life is going hard, they know that you're committed to them. The most beautiful biblical story of this in my life that I've read is is the story of David and Jonathan. So David was a young man, and he goes to watch uh, this war going on, and and there's Goliath coming down the mountain, and he's He's calling out to the nation of Israel. He's like, he's going like, are you just weak? Is your God weak? Why don't you send one man down to fight me? And David walks up and goes, hey, who is this guy doing this? And they're like, David's talking a big game. All right, send David down. And David goes down. He kills Goliath with a sling and a stone. And Goliath falls. And then he walks back up the mountain. Everyone's like, what just happened? And then you see Jonathan walk up to David. Jonathan was Saul current king's son, the next one rightfully in line to the throne. And Jonathan walks over to David, who just killed Goliath, bends down his knee, gives him his sword and his shield and his cloak, and he says, I'm dedicating my life to you because the God, God of the universe is with you. And as you watch their life, Saul, Jonathan's dad, becomes more and more crazed and insane. He tries to kill David. Jonathan actually spares, helps spare David's life. He says, you've got to run. My dad's insane. You run and you keep on running and I will do my best to protect you. And he's running away. He barely ends up seeing Jonathan most of his life. But there's one crucial moment that happens in 1 Samuel 23. It says this, David saw that Saul, David saw with his eyes that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Enzif at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David in Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. He said, I see David, and I know he's on the run. And this moment, when, he, when Jonathan sees David at Horesh, is the last, two, last time these men are going to see one another. And he gets on a horse, a camel, gets over there, comes to him just to strengthen his hand in God. And here's what he says. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. Wait a minute. Jonathan's in line to be king. He says, no, no, you're gonna be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David remained at Hebron, and Jonathan went home. One of the most beautiful friendships in the Bible is David and Jonathan because you see these men commit to one another. Jonathan says, God is with you. I could be king. I could try to kill you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to submit to the Lord and I will be your friend. Even when it's tough, I'm committed to you. That is a great friend. Is a beautiful friendship. Are you that kind of friend? Thirdly, we need friends that are honest with us. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. seven nine, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I love this phrase from verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That word wounds means being beaten, or struck. But look at the other word he puts there. Faithful are the beatings of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. When someone corrects you, when someone confronts you, how do you respond? Some of us think that if someone actually calls out um, an issue in our lives, they're not being a good friend, they're being an enemy. And sometimes we treat them as an enemy. Like, I hate that girl. She said that thing that one time about what I was wearing. I just I just don't like her. And, and we're like, she is the enemy. Like, we need to burn her down. Insta-war, you know? And you just like go at her. Instead of saying, actually, maybe she's a gift of God in my life. Maybe she could actually be a meaningful friend because she has the ability to speak the truth in love. Do you have friends that are willing to speak the truth in love to you. They actually speak harsh words to you for the purpose of making you better. Do you have friends like that? Well, I want to tell you what, what honesty is. Honesty is not lashing out. Honesty is not getting something off your chest. Honesty is not venting. Honesty is not dumping. Honesty is not rash words. So being honest doesn't mean like, hey, I just got to get this off my chest. Like, <gasps> boom, you're horrible, I hate you, da-da-da, be my friend. You're like, that's not what we're talking about. What we are saying is this, rash words are, are this, rash words are like thrusts of a sword, that's what it says, right? The one whose words are rash are like thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do you have a friend that corrects you to make you better? You have friends that actually point out issues in your life so that you may be healed. See, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about wounds of a surgeon, not wounds of a sledgehammer. You have friends that speak the truth in love. I'm so thankful that I've had friends like this in my life. Because I talk a lot for a living. You notice that. And the Bible warns you, when you talk a lot, you're eventually going to say things that you wish you could take back, but sometimes you're not aware of it. And I have friends in my life saying, hey, when you said that in that sermon, that hurt. I've had friends in my life saying, hey, when when you said that in that meeting, that wasn't helping us get better. And I could have said to those people, you don't know me, and just turned away, but instead I realized these people were speaking the truth in love to make me better. Fourthly, discretion. Honesty doesn't mean you always say what you're thinking. Okay? Honesty means you're discerning in what you're saying. Proverbs seventeen seven says it this way. He who covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So if you have something you need to confront someone about, like I need to address this with this person, here's the best way to address it. You address it one time and you address it clearly. And if they refuse to accept it, you can bring another person in and confront it again. What you do not do is go spread rumors and gossip about that person. You don't bring that issue and be like, okay, I talked to Jenny about this issue that she has, and oh my gosh. And then, and then you'd be like, did you talk to Jenny about it? Oh yeah, I told, totally told Jenny. And I'm going to tell you and you and you and you and you. So we all know Jenny's problem. And you're like, that is separating close friends. Good friends it says cover up an offense that means that hurt me but cover up means like clothing it means like to cover it like i'm not i'm not going to i'm not going to expose this to everyone i'm going to i'm going to cover it to repeat a matter could actually mean actually to uncover it. so that person said that thing that really really hurt and so you go and you address it individually importantly to that person and you we do not uncover we do not spread rumors it's discretion it means that we speak the truth in love and we do not share with everyone. And fifthly, character. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as a friend. You want to have great friends? How's your heart? That word purity uh, means, could mean moral purity. It could mean, let me get all of them. It could mean clean, it could mean moral purity, it means flawless, it means this, that I love character, deep quality within myself so that I can be the friend I need to be. I'm the type of friend that people need to have. So to be a great friend, it means I give my time, it means I commit to people. It means I'm honest, but I am discreet. I don't tell everyone everything in these people's issues. And it means I have character. I'm growing in Christ-likeness. The question is this, am I this type of friend? Now, one level I can say, okay, well, buck up, do it. But I think that's impossible. In fact, to become this type of friend, what we need is the only friend that can change us from the inside out, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who has given His time, he came to earth, but he also says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's given us his commitment. He says, Look, I will never lose a single person that comes to me. I will save them. He is honest with us. He speaks the truth in love. Here's the sin, here's the solution. He's discreet. He says, As far as the east is from the west, I've removed your sins from me. We're not going to relive those moments. I've forgiven them. You want know, to talk about character? Jesus stands in moments and says, hey, if any of you convicts me of sin, please speak up, and no one does. In fact, historically, the character of Jesus is irrefutable. But here's what's beautiful about Jesus. He forgives us for all of our mistakes. He dies in our place for our sins, And you know what he says to his disciples? When he was about to die and leave, he says, I no longer call you slaves but I call you friends. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means Jesus has committed himself to you. You are relationally his friend. And as he changes you, you then become the type of friend you need to be to love people in this world. So we need friends. Friends are hard to find. So we focus on becoming the men and women Under Christ, we need to be so we can be the friend we want to find. So a couple application questions in closing. First one is this. Who are your closest friendships? And then secondly, are those friends, those closest friends, making you more who you need to be under Christ? Or are they not? Who are your closest friendships? And are those friendships spurring you on toward greater godliness, or are they not? Thirdly, if you're missing the type of friendships that we're talking about, how can you begin cultivating those friendships you need? I'm going to give you a couple options. One is right after the service, right after we sing a closing song, you're going to head out these doors and you're going to head to table groups and do table discussion. The purpose of that is to connect with some folks to hear a little, to talk a little more deeply about the content but to connect relationally both with those folks that are right there that are committed to you. Secondly is our college grace groups. We already gave the announcement. At every single table, there's a grace group leader. And if you are not in a small group, you ought to be because meaningful relationships are cultivated there. And so ask, is there a small group leader here? There is. I promise you there is. And and they will connect with you at that table. Thirdly, dream team. We have a dream team that sets up. Yeah, yeah. They set up every week. And let me tell you what, the community that's cultivated in serving together is very beautiful. So come be a part of Dream Team. Or fourthly, multiply groups. We have multiply groups, and I would encourage you to talk with uh, either uh, Sarah Wampler or Philip uh, Klinglesmith. They'll be right out here, right outside. Ask, how do I get in a multiply group to multiply my faith, to share my faith more and grow more deeply as a disciple of Christ? be in a multi- group, ask our folks about how to get more deeply plugged in. And lastly I would just ask you this what can you do to actually be the friend of the most wonderful life? and pray for us. Lord thank you so much for this morning and thank you that you Jesus left glory, stepped into humanity. Not to show us just how we were messing up, but to actually be a friend. That you suffered, you died, and as you were suffering and dying, you actually were reaching, saying, "Lord, forgive them; they don't know what they're doing." And to one of the thieves on the cross, he said, "Hey, today you'll actually be with me in paradise. You're extending friendship all the way to the end." Lord, I pray that we could be men and women that know you, Jesus. The greatest friend the world has ever seen. And Lord, by your grace, we'd be changed to create the community, the friendships the world longs to see. It's in your name we pray.